0: This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long.
1: And my name is Danielle King.
0: Very good. (laughs) This is an impromptu, unexpected recording because one of my guests canceled, which means I have no episodes. (laughs) I have nothing to edit for this week's show. So... Here we are. I've grabbed my sometimes Sacred Tension co-host and fabulous roommate, Danielle. We, we are coming off of the marathon three-week coming out series with timothy which was really beautiful and really powerful and also really heavy if you haven't checked it out please go do that now it'll probably be way more profound than this one
1: real time i've listened to the first two and i can't wait to listen to the third so (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. i'm I'm
0: in the middle of editing (laughs) so we're just going to do something kind of laid back and fun And then we will I will be back to interviewing, you know, queers and Satanists next next week. Also, just a little heads up. There is construction going on outside and I do not have a professional studio. We live in a rickety old mountain house. So we've like put mattresses in the windows.
1: (laughs) He's not even kidding.
0: I'm not even kidding. We put mattresses in the windows to try to get the sound out. So if you hear trucks and bulldozers, I'm sorry. Go donate to my patron.
1: Also, there's a cat in here, there's also which a... has nothing to do with Patreon. <laughs> it's just
0: and so if you hear <sighs> if you hear rustling or meowing or banging, that it's that, not a poltergeist. <laughs> no, it's the cat. All right, we think all of this is, is all of this is is wonderful advertisement for my Patreon, which you can go to at Patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long, where you can give me money so that I can eventually have a real studio. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Danielle and I just have some really basic questions for each other. We do not know what these questions are. We're going to ask each other these questions. You know, it's pretty hard for us to not know something about each other, but maybe maybe we'll ask a question that you don't know about us.
1: You know, we met in what, fall of 2002? Two. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's fall ridiculous. Fall of
0: 2002 at Asheville Christian Academy. and. <sighs> you were
1: i should say a lot anyway
0: you were the you were the lapdog of the teachers
1: hey i I, was i was a good student and quiet and i was not which means (laughs) that you were the lapdog which means they liked me yes
0: (laughs) and i was not the (laughs) lapdog yeah well but anyway anyway (laughs) all right so danielle do you want to ask the first question
1: well well sure less a question more a request Mm. So I really wish sometimes that this were a visual medium because, quite frankly, Stephen, your and John's style is astonishing. Could you could you put a name to that <laughs> style and describe some salient objects in the room oh, that would that would let your listeners sort of sort of in on what I'm experiencing right
0: now? Okay. Well, so oh. we have uh, behind Danielle, we have a dresser that is full of old horror books and psychoanalysis also sharing that dresser are a bunch of taxidermied insects Mm -hmm. a giant tarantula a bunch of large beetles we have a bat skeleton we have a taxidermied octopus we have a statue of kali and a statue of baphomet from the Mm -hmm. satanic Mm -hmm. temple we have a bunch of fossils. Let's see. We have a uh, a gigantic, gorgeous painting of Eve. It
1: really is gorgeous. Of
0: Eve in the garden. John got it, and I don't actually know what.
1: Well, it's by Henri... What is it? Juliette Rousseau, yes, Uh, from the early 1900s, and uh, it's technically called Snake Charmer, but of course, it looks very Edenic with this woman with a snake around her neck and she's naked. And
0: I I see it uh as as uh, As Eve in the garden, Eve in the garden, and she's surrounded Mm -hmm. by snakes. We have a baby doll head (laughs) nightlight. Yes, you do. We have Voodoo Mary. Uh, Mm -hmm. John John got this gorgeous Haitian Voodoo statue
1: of of Mary. Mary of yeah. Mary
0: we also have the Amitabha Buddha we have lots of occult books yeah. <laughs> we, let's see we have an Ouija board over the bed mm-hmm. it's an exciting it's an but exciting but my favorite place.
1: parts my favorite parts are the grandma touches they have like a stained glass shaded lamp <laughs> and a needlepoint ottoman and you know <laughs> just these little these little touches of Victoriana that delight my soul when mixed with all of this occult
0: kind of the look we're trying to go for is like Victorian era psychic parlor. Yeah, like, yeah, that's like accurate. Spiritualism. <laughs> like
1: Madame, what's her face?
0: Madame Bladovats- Blavatsky.
1: Blavatsky. Blavatsky.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the look we're going for. Yeah. Is old world spiritualism hmm yeah
1: I'd, I'd say we're there okay Since they were getting there anyway okay
0: that's good yeah mm-hmm. well whenever I bring guests into this room they're like oh my god <laughs> like, oh my gosh they're like I thought I thought this was a Christian podcast it, it
1: doesn't hurt that we you know as Stephen said live in a rickety old house with like cobwebs and things I call it
0: the cobweb mansion yeah cobweb palace all right well, so then I will ask the next question. Please do. So, Danielle, mm. who is your favorite Catholic saint?
1: Oh, crap. Oh, who am I kidding? And actually, I don't know if she's canonized or simply blessed, but it's got to be Hildegard. She like, is
0: actually canonized. Now.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. no. She then was, definitely Hildegard von Bingen. She
0: was blessed, and yeah. then, and she's also a doctor of the church. But nice. now she's she no, was she's canonized, canonized recently. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely Hilde. Yeah, me Hildegard too. Hildegard von she,
0: Bingen. She, Hildegard. For listeners who don't know, she was an early mystic, an mm-hmm, early feminist, mm-hmm. an early pioneer in contraception. She
1: lived in medieval Germany. She, she was an abbess. She was uh, an abbess.
0: She mm-hmm. she stood up against a lot of the tyranny of the Catholic Church. Yeah. She was an herbalist. She was mm-hmm. a musician. If you go look up some of her music, it is absolutely oh, amazing. extraordinary and oh, ahead of goodness. her time. She was also, fun fact, so at that time, here's just some music trivia, at that time, there was a trend of anonymity when it came to composing music. Uh, she was the first in Western music to put her name to her music. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, no, she's extraordinary. She She's a great artist, musician. She did morality plays, just and mm-hmm. one of the most extraordinary women in history. So yep. I have to agree. Like <laughs> as, as I was
1: Hildy, yeah, Hildy. Uh-huh.
0: As I was, I was going to take her. I was going to take Hildegard as my um, patron saint. If
1: you had finished the as conversion my, process. as my name yeah. saint, yeah. As, yeah. if I was going to finish the conversion mm-hmm. process, yeah. yeah, all right. I should have. I I didn't, but I, I who, thought about it. Who
0: did you take as your name saint?
1: Elizabeth Ann Seton. She's awesome. She's pretty cool. She's a bam. She is. It's true. Far more, I suppose, conventional than Hildegard von Bingen, but also an awesome woman in church history and in history in general. Absolutely. She was a widow from, I want to say Baltimore. Anyway, she had been raised Anglican, converted to Catholicism after her husband died, became a religious, and then began an order of teaching nuns. So yeah, education, y'all. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. A
0: pioneer in education. Yep. Well, that's your Catholic... That's our
1: Catholic Saints lesson for the day. <laughs> that is ah. your
0: Catholic lesson. We are both still very Catholic.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. I feel like Catholic is still one of those facets that's still very much a part of me.
1: Yeah, I think I think for me too. It's
0: it's still there. Maybe, I, I think it's smaller them for you mm. because you were just in it longer. Yeah, I was. But it's still mm-hmm. like a part of me. Also, I still <clears throat> go
1: to an Anglo-Catholic church,
0: and I go to an so. Episcopal church.
1: I mean, technically the one I go to is Episcopal, but, but liturgically But your liturgically.
0: mine is not liturgically <laughs> Anglo-Catholic. Let's but. put
1: it this way. We say the Angelus after every Sunday service. Like, <laughs> yeah. Very
0: good. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's your next question?
1: So my next question is, if you had to pick somebody who was most influential in your affirmation process? I don't know if you want, if you know what I mean by that, but like
0: Catholic affirmation. No, oh. no.
1: Um, coming to affirm your sexuality. Oh, yeah. Oh, got it. Who okay. and why?
0: Okay, I would have to say that the most influential person for me in coming to accept my sexual orientation was Dr. James Brownson. Okay. And of course there are a lot of really really close runner-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, Justin Lee,
1: Peter Ends comes to Peter mind. Peter Ends. Yeah.
0: Uh, who wrote a letter to my congregation?
1: Oh, crap. Uh, Ken Wilson. Yeah.
0: Ken Wilson. Wendy Gritter. Wendy Gritter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, people like that. People yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> there, I mean... So many. I, Warren Throckmorton. There are a ton of really, really great people who I can recommend, who really helped me come... David Gushy is another great one, who helped me come to an affirming position... But I think the one who really pushed me, who was able to really walk me through it step by step, was Dr. James Brownson and his book, Bible Gender Sexuality. So Mm -hmm. remember, this was when I was still kind of conservative.
1: Oh, I know. Theologically. I, I remember. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. So so I was still conservative theologically. And I had, you know, what Protestants call a high view of scripture, which means it is the word of God. It is the...
1: Infallible. Inf- you read it literally. I you- didn't. I don't.
0: Well, I didn't read it literally. Yeah. But it, I was definitely then, I don't scripture. Sure. Prima scriptura. Yeah. I was definitely prima scriptura. And I was, which means scripture first. For me and for a lot of people, there's this dissonance between the life we feel like we are able to live, want to live, want to embrace, be that for straight Christians wanting to embrace their gay friends or for gay people who want to
1: affirm their own who want to affirm Mm -hmm. their
0: own orientation but the problem is it's their theology that's holding them back it is their intellectual scaffolding that's Mm. holding them back and so what often needs to take place is not a conversion of heart for me I was already there you know for some people it does need it you know like Michael Corrin I did an interview with Michael Corrin uh several years ago and he was a conservative commentator in in Canada, very, very famous. And then he had a change of heart. Yeah. And it was first and foremost, a change of heart, the way he describes it. But for me, I feel like I already had that change of heart. And what needed to happen was a breaking down of the scaffolding Mm -hmm. that was holding me hostage to conservative ideology to these traditional systems. You know, I sometimes feel like people don't appreciate that enough. How so? I feel like we live in a culture that just assumes we'll just get over it. Yeah, you know, just get over your religiosity, mm-hmm. or just get over your traditional conservative beliefs, just
1: which to some degree is almost as silly as telling somebody to choose not to be gay. Yes, like this it is. is this has been ingrained in me since I me was too. born, even and, before. Yeah, and
0: so I'm often frustrated with how people handle religiosity and handle ideology where the ad i feel like the prevailing attitude and this is just me maybe i'm completely wrong but i feel like the prevailing attitude is we'll just fucking get over it
1: yeah can't you see (laughs) can't you see
0: that this is the morally (laughs) superior path and the problem is sometimes people can see that but they can't reconcile that Yeah. You know?
1: With the theological and even intellectual systems, philosophical, emotional, that they've built up for themselves for, you know, since they were tiny children. And the
0: result is cognitive dissonance. Oh, it
1: hurts so hard. It hurts so
0: hard. And so, really, what I needed was someone like Dr. James Brownson to walk me through step by step why I can affirm my sexuality. And, and it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And I recommend everyone read it because it it's, I think, the bar for affirming theology.
1: He himself, I wouldn't say he has what Protestants or what, what very conservative Protestants would call a high view of scripture. But at the same time, he walks you through sort of the theological steps using scripture in a way yes. that definitely also drew me in and made me go, huh.
0: Me too. He, he huh. completely, rat- and mm-hmm. and through a respect for scripture, he reframed it yeah. in, in a way that yeah. was just extraordinary. Kind of the underpinning idea of Bible gender sexuality is what he calls moral logic. And what is the moral logic of these certain passages and these overarching themes of scripture? And so, base, you know, he uses the example of... Of it's in one of Paul's letters where he says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." Okay, well, what's the moral logic behind that? Is the <laughs> do moral... we take
1: that literally and do all we... kiss each other? <laughs> do we
0: take do we take that literally and all kiss each other? Even though there are some cultures that just don't do that. Or mm-hmm. do we take the, do we draw from that the moral logic, which is yeah. greet one In another places, warmly. Would and, you
1: greet each other with a holy handshake? And, like, and come lovingly. On, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Greet each other mm-hmm. warmly and lovingly. And that's the moral logic. So he applies that concept of moral logic that transcends culture and time mm. and assumption
1: mm-hmm.
0: to our modern day. And it's really, really brilliant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a it's a gorgeous book. I've also read it. But, it is. Mm-hmm. It's a
0: masterpiece. Okay. okay. Well, now that we've stopped gushing over oh, now that we over Brownson now that we're done gushing uh, over Brownson. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Will I ever be done? It's your turn.
0: Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, I oh. just asked a question. Oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> I'm looking at you expectantly. Uh, All right, here's one. What in your evangelical background are you still recovering from?
1: Oh crap. <laughs> For me, it's difficult to separate sort of influences and things that were not strictly evangelical from my evangelical upbringing simply because i experienced it all as a whole and i feel like evangelicalism sort of permeated just everything about the culture that i was raised in but i think Mm. i think the biggest thing for me is uh shame-based fear Mm. yeah and i i feel like it's it's almost an analogous experience and i'm not going to say it was as severe But it it was almost an analogous experience growing up a quiet, bookish, overweight girl in modern American evangelical culture. In some ways, I feel like I experienced a taste of what it must be like to grow up queer in that kind of community. Absolutely. I felt like as much as people praised the fact that I knew a lot of things about a lot of things, I always, and whether this is accurate or not, although I don't know why I would have felt this if it wasn't true, I felt like there was maybe an undercurrent of uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. with just who I was, this very articulate, as I say, bookish, you know.
0: You were incredibly articulate.
1: Thank you. And, um, and I think And you still are. Thank you so much. Yeah. But I think as a, as a kid, that sometimes made people uncomfortable in a culture where I was overweight and female, and both of those things were considered less than. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily evil or bad, but definitely not as good as. Male was best was best and so if you were going to have a voice and if you were going to you know operate in the world as let's say a leader then you had better be at least one of if not both of those things if that makes sense oh gosh even now I feel ashamed saying this but I feel like I had leadership potential that was neglected because people didn't see me as the kind of person who they wanted to foster leadership
0: with. I 100% agree with that
1: uh, because I'm not an extrovert because I'm I'm not an conventionally attractive yeah an athlete because i'm not male
0: yeah exactly uh
1: and i think i internalized a lot of that mm. and uh so i have a lot of uh, I have a lot of fear and a lot of shame and i'm working through it yeah yeah
0: it's incredible how these things follow us <laughs> because <laughs> yeah you know i've interviewed a lot of ex-evangelicals or <laughs> Just people working through mm. their evangelical past, you know, most recently is Timothy over the past few weeks talking about how, you know, he's been in the closet for 58 years and now he's coming out at the age of 58 yeah. and has, and he's lived in the evangelical world that entire time. And, you know, there's this crazy kind of Stockholm syndrome that we all have, <laughs> I yeah. feel like, with our evangelical upbringing where it's like we really love it. We really hate it. It's complicated. We appreciate it. We loathe it. Mm-hmm. We rage at it. We are <laughs> thankful for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's so, so complicated. It's so complicated. So multifaceted. Yeah. And, you know, just as you were talking about that, something came to mind that I've been thinking about quite a bit as a queer person it is, I think, one thing that really hurt, I mean, what what didn't hurt, you know, yeah, is right. uh, one of the other many things that hurt mm-hmm. was this idea that jesus became this gas lighter and what i mean by that is that you know it's like and i'm and i'm speaking really kind of figuratively here where it, it's like we're told queer people in the church or at least where i was in the church we're told your sin is no worse yeah than any other sin mm-hmm. and then they proceed to treat you just as if that's the case Yeah. You know what I mean? Your sin is no worse than any other sin, and they insist on it, and they insist on it, and they insist on it, and they demand that you see it that way too. But then they treat you the exact opposite, as if your sin is worse. And it makes you feel like you're going insane. It's like classic gaslighting. This notion that Jesus loves you unconditionally, and then they treat you
1: the exact hmm. opposite. So that's not true at all. That's yeah. not true at all. Uh-huh.
0: You know, and and you know, I don't feel like the church ha- gets the out of saying we're the body of Christ, but when we don't reflect Him well, we're going to distance ourselves from Him and say, "Oh no, we're imperfect." Um, I think you need to do a bit better than that. <laughs> if you're going to be the body mm-hmm. of Christ, at least try. <laughs> like,
1: you, can can we move past that? Maybe you yeah. you see
0: what I'm saying?
1: Well, and it's funny.
0: Because to people yeah. like me, mm-hmm. to, to the world and to kids being raised in the church, the body is Christ.
1: It's all they can see. Yeah. That's
0: all they can see. Like there's, can a reason, there's a reason the church is called the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's because that's how we see Christ. And so if you're fucking yeah. up, if, if the church is a monster, Christ is going to become a monster to us that's just the way it is and we don't get the theoretical dodge of saying well the church is imperfect and you still have to do you see what i'm saying oh yeah we don't get that dodge we just have to say we're the body of christ we're gonna do better and we failed that's the only thing that's acceptable there Mm -hmm. anyway
1: And it's so funny because I interact with evangelicals now who are still, you know, very much a part of the community and still accept all the theology and still, you know, are in it in that world. And quite frankly, there are certain things and certain situations and even certain words that trigger these instantaneous really sharp kind of startling reactions yeah, of fear shame and anger yeah me too. those those are the things honestly those are the things that I see and maybe it's because I've you know I've been there <laughs> um yeah but it's just it's so fascinating to me I don't I sometimes see joy or peace or love but I don't know it's it's all sort of it can all sort of crack in an instant Yes. Just because of some, you know, because yeah, no, seriously because of a word. Yeah. I don't know. I think part of my heart in all this is I want to see people have life and that more abundantly and have more more joy, love, hope, and peace. Like I want to see yeah. people,
0: I want to see people be at peace and live fully. And there's something so confining and brittle. Yes. And I just know how painful that sense of brittleness that you know if you look in the wrong direction if you talk to the wrong people then suddenly your entire world's going to shatter mm. you know what i mean that well, sense of <clears throat> that that sense of fragility and fear that You know, this glass castle that is your evangelical world can just so easily be shattered. And if we're constantly having to protect it from shattering, we're not living a full life. We're not living an interconnected, deep messy Joy- messy uncertain joyful life. human yeah. life that's exactly. that's
1: the thing like and that's the other thing is that I feel like I was taught to be afraid of mess and uncertainty yeah and quite frankly apart from death and taxes those are the two things we're <laughs> going to have like those those <laughs> yes. are the human things the we will be things. messy and we will be uncertain and that's that's just how it goes. And that's
0: great. Yeah. And I mean, kind of what I've learned is that it's possible to still have a semblance of Christianity in your life with Mm. those things.
1: Oh, you know, and
0: and I know that I have arrived at a place that a lot of people find uncomfortable. But the fact is, I still consider myself a Christian, maybe a queer satanic one. But I (laughs) I still consider myself a Christian. And I still consider myself within the stream of these symbols and profoundly powerful images mm. there's nothing i love more than scripture yeah you know there's nothing I'm, i love more than the bible there's nothing i love more than the person of christ mm-hmm. than the image of christ and i've did, and i've realized i can have all that oh, yeah. while still being the hopeful materialist mm-hmm. that i am who still believes in the supernatural late at night when I'm falling asleep. You know what I mean? You know, it's like I don't think that there will ever be a part of me that doesn't believe in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. I don't think that will – I don't think I have it in me to not believe in that. But I also don't have it in me to not be a skeptic, to not – be uncomfortable to not
1: say i don't know exactly yeah. and, and
0: i've discovered that i can have all of that while still calling myself a christian and that's okay yeah next question
1: yeah next question um you asked the last one yes
0: yes that's right
1: ha 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 you said i could ask anything <laughs> all <laughs> that, right that's true Stephen, you recently had a birthday how are you feeling about being 30
0: oh my god uh. well <laughs> I'm afraid that gay menopause is going to be setting on any time now. (laughs) It actually feels really good because my teens and 20s were a hot fucking mess.
1: I can attest to that.
0: Yeah, my teens and (laughs) my teens and 20s were just a complete nightmare. I feel like over the past three, four years, three, four years, I have kind of started to get my shit together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. John's really helped because John Mm -hmm. and I met in 2000 and fall of 2014 and he was a really stabilizing force for me. I feel like a lot of stuff that I think normal people learn in like school and college, like how to, how to (laughs) be an adult or like how to get up in the morning. Not
1: everyone. No, not everyone.
0: (laughs) Um, But like how to, I don't know, just how to be a sane state. And I do mean sane, sane I do mean sane. I mean sane literally. Yeah. How to be a sane, stable, Functional human being. I feel like I just needed a bit longer.
1: I just needed a minute. <laughs> just, it's okay. I just needed,
0: just needed a minute. Needed a minute to figure that shit out. Because I mean, seriously, I had a lot working against me. Like a lot working against me. I'm really, really learning disabled, which I've discovered for me doesn't mean anything outside of school. I do yeah, great. outside. You out- do
1: fine. When I you're do great not outside of
0: school. of school, but in school, oh. I really, really suffer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not a good student, and I've no matter how hard I try, it just, it didn't work and so there was that but then also just you know growing up in a conservative setting being queer going through a shooting when i was 19 years old and living with the ptsd from that going to a small christian mountain college and being, being a pariah, a pariah mm. there being gay there i mean there was a lot there was a lot, a lot happening yeah mental health issues i mean there was a lot and so i'm actually really hopeful about turning 30 or i just turned 30 i'm really hopeful about my 30s because yeah. i'm feeling like things are better and like things are more stable
1: well and i think to some degree. And there are maybe a few factors in my life that have caused this to be true as well. I think to some degree, your rocky start caused you to work through some things that other people maybe don't have to face up to until they're like 50. And if I, yeah. and if it's up to me, I'd rather get them out of the way sooner. Yeah. Like, I'd That's... rather get them out of the way, you know, earlier because, you know, I have to. Oh
0: my god. Um, yes, me too. Then, know...
1: you know, have a midlife crisis and fall apart at, at 60.
0: J.K. Rowling has a fantastic uh, speech at a College for graduation. Commence- commencement. There you
1: go. <laughs> commencement speech. <laughs>
0: A commencement speech where, and it was to Harvard or some Ivy League school, and it's about the benefits of failure.
1: Nice.
0: And how failure is our greatest teacher. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like through most of my teens and 20s, I had the most brutal, brutal <laughs> you an
1: education and failure. I had yeah. the most
0: fucking brutal education and failure. And uh, it's now serving me pretty well. Yep. Yeah, I, I feel like I've learned how to survive mm-hmm. pretty efficiently. Um, also, I found a sugar daddy. That's <laughs> That was part of the plan all along. Oh, my
1: goodness. Find,
0: find someone who is more stable than you, <laughs> who makes more than you. Oh,
1: my god. And then
0: maybe someday I can fulfill my dream of being a gay housewife.
1: That's hilarious. Which
0: I'm not. I'm not a gay housewife. No. But maybe someday I will but be. Maybe someday. Right now I'm uh, I'm working three jobs. Yeah, I yeah. do. I do the podcast. I do the website. I teach yoga, and I am an assistant manager at a locally owned kind of uh, organic family business, family business, grocery organic, store, organic grocery yeah. store mm-hmm. cafe. So, a one, yes, I am a Portlandia sketch. Yes, I'm a gay yoga teacher who manages an organic, locally owned grocery store, and I work about forty to sixty hours a week. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, I'm yeah. working to death. So, but I love working to death.
1: Yeah. So, so there you go. So there we go. All right. You technically get one more if that's the format we're going with.
0: Yeah, let's see her. What would make you lose faith in God?
1: Oh my. Going for the hard hitting <laughs> one last, Stephen. All right.
0: Is this last? Is this the last question?
1: I mean, it, I don't know. If we each get 3, then yeah. Oh, well,
0: I have I have You have
1: more. I have more questions. Oh boy. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I um, did say three
0: last night, didn't I? I mean, there can be Three more. to five. I don't care. Okay.
1: Oh, gosh. What would make me lose faith in God? At this point, having had my expectations and trust and heart broken over and over and over again by people and institutions who claimed to represent God, and simply by tragedies in the world, and having faced those and cried about them and ranted about them and raged about them and lived with them, sat with them. I can't say that there's nothing that would make me lose my faith in God, but I think because my faith in God isn't predicated on, you know, good things happening to good people or institutions that claim to res- to represent God behaving as though they do Mm -hmm. or tragedies not occurring in the world even very horrific ones Mm. at this point i feel like that faith is so organic and flexible and alive and has survived this long i mean i haven't experienced a lot of personal tragedy so i can't speak to you know what if, God forbid, you know, my, my husband who I've been married to for about a year were to suddenly die? I can't say that that wouldn't, you know, that that might not do it. But,
0: but you've been you've been I bitten. Feel like by I've th-
1: been. Yeah, I feel like I've been I've I've tested this. Yeah. i've I've really tested this, and again, that <clears throat> whole idea of of facing facing the uncertainty and looking it in the face and sitting with it yeah and not avoiding it and it, realizing that the only way out is through
0: it, that strengthens faith,
1: yeah, yeah it no does. like yeah, me seriously, too. I think I used to think my you know faith was like a structure, like a house, and then I found out that no. Faith is like the jungle that comes and eats the, like, the vines that grow up through it and the trees and the roots and the leaves and the everything. It's living. It's It's a a forest. And it grows and it changes. Exactly. And it goes through seasons. And I think having learned that, I'm not sure there's anything that will kill it.
0: Yeah, me too. You know. (laughs) I, I don't know. I feel like... Faith is a hard word for me because I feel like where my Christianity is isn't just such a weird, abstract, non-theistic, which is different from atheistic. Mm-hmm. I feel like the way I put it is that I've been bitten by the faith super bug and it's like ah, no matter what I throw no at it, no
1: matter what I throw at no, it, it's still there. <laughs> no matter
0: no matter how many yeah. books by Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins I throw at it, it'll just mutate. Yeah, you know, like a bac- you know, like yeah. a virus, like, like a
1: flesh-eating bacteria, like, like
0: a flesh-eating bacteria.
1: Get me somehow. It, one it's going to the other. Exactly. Yeah. It'll just
0: mutate to accommodate it. Mm-hmm. Now, it now my faith has mutated to the point of being unrecognizable to what it was five years ago, and I mm-hmm. think that's good. Okay, so I'm an open materialist, meaning I'm a materialist who believes that there's probably just the spiritual or just the material world, but I hope deeply for the supernatural world. I hope deeply that God is my savior. I hope deeply that jesus christ was raised from the dead yeah. i hope dearly for all those things the sort of faith that i can relate with is what is defined in, in uh, hebrews faith is the essence of things it's hoped, hoped for. for i can 100 yeah. percent get behind that kind of faith yeah and for me there's a difference between what i hope for and what we know And what we know is the magisterium of science, what's Mm -hmm. revealed to us. And then beyond what's revealed to us through the revelation of science. But then beyond that, we can just be comfortable with agnosticism and we can hope. And yet, in spite of that, I still speak in tongues. Yeah. Spontaneously. Mm -hmm. I still pray from you the book still pray i still yep. pray from the book of common prayer read scripture i still read scripture mm-hmm. i still i haven't been able to go to church as much lately because of work but i i'm still involved in in a local, in a local church. church in a yeah. in, in an episcopal mm-hmm. church all of that while saying you know what i don't know if there is a god and honestly at this point i'm okay if there isn't because mm-hmm. no matter what i think about the universe The universe is still huge and mysterious and wonderful no matter what I think about it. And it's okay. And I can trust that fact. Yeah. You know, I can be okay with it. And yet I'm still going to live with the, I'm I'm still going to live as if. Mm Mm-hmm. The, there is a god, even though I don't <laughs> know there it? is one.
1: What was it? The Oh, no. Now I'm going to get all C.S. Lewis on everybody. <laughs> and guys, guys, <laughs> if there is someone who is actually my patron saint, it's C.S. <laughs> it's Lewis. C.S.
0: Or G.K. Chesterton. Or
1: G.K., but probably C.S. It's Lewis. Probably
0: Lewis, let's um, be
1: honest. And so there's this, there's this scene in the silver chair where they're down in the underground kingdom of the snake queen and it's two you know children from England from the from this world and a creature from Narnia called a marshwiggle and they're there to <laughs> rescue prince Rillian of narnia and uh the witch has come back and surprised them after they freed the prince from enchantment mm-hmm. and she's pissed as hell <laughs> and she like throws a powder on the fire and starts playing a harp to make them all drowsy and she tries to hypnotize them and basically her her thing is there is no above ground world this underground world that I've created is the only world there is yeah. what is the sun but a larger lamp and what is you know this lion because in, in this world Aslan the lion is a is a figure of Christ for, yeah. for Lewis you know what is the lion but a larger version of this cat here and you know why, mm-hmm. why do you what are you talking about there never was a lamp and on the surface? What are you taught? and um You know, what are stars and all this? And the Marsh Wiggle basically says, well, madam, maybe that's true. Maybe you've swallowed the overworld and made it as black and joyless as this place. But if that's true, then three children play acting, which is something she'd thrown at them, can make a pretend world to lick your real world hollow. Maybe there isn't any Narnia, but I'm going to live like a Narnian anyway. Exactly. He gives this whole stirring speech. And I'm like, yeah, right there. That's it. Right there. Maybe there isn't. But I'm going to live like there is. And, and, you know, I
0: I know I say this on so many podcasts. People are sick of it. And, you know, whenever I'm interviewed on other shows with people in the process of deconstructing their faith, I always bring up that quote from the end of Harry Potter, Mm. which is... Oh,
1: yeah. Um, Dumbledore when, at King's, at the, you know, you know yeah the the, afterlife King's the, Cross station. The vision, station.
0: the vision at King's Cross, mm-hmm. and Harry's having a final conversation with Dumbledore. And at the very end of the conversation, Harry looks at Dumbledore and says, Is this all in my head? And Dumbledore says, Of course it's all in your head, Harry. Why does that mean it isn't real? Yeah. That, to me, speaks to the power of faith. Speaks Mm -hmm. to the power of the share what what Joseph Laycock, who's a guest on this show, calls paracosms. And a paracosm is a shared world. And he says, it isn't not real. It's an annex to reality. And it fundamentally changes us and shapes how we live. We we have to stop seeing this division between mind and material as real and unreal. It's, hmm. all, real. Yeah, it's all real. It's all real, but maybe in a different sense. Mm-hmm. It's all lived experience, maybe just in a different way.
1: Yeah.
0: And also, you know... Along these lines, I did a whole, you know, two-parter episode with Matt Langston on the axioms of Science Mike, which kind of cover this. Like, how, yeah. how do we hold on to—if you're a skeptical person who still deeply values your faith, how do you reconcile the two? How do you reconcile modern science with ancient religion? Well, I think Science Mike has the best— criteria for that so far i think he has the bet because basically what he comes up with is this set of axioms which is like here is the very baseline here is Mm -hmm. here is the lowest bar
1: that you have (laughs) to
0: agree to and each one of these things each one of these axioms can be affirmed through simple observation and science here are the axioms the lowest bar that you can agree on to remain within your beloved community Mm -hmm. and that's it
1: in terms of belief
0: Yeah. yeah and so if you're if this is something that interests you definitely go check out the axioms of faith mm-hmm. episodes
1: you know i mean i'm gonna make the argument that once i and i'm still in the process of this of course but once i really decided to sit down with doubt uh it strengthened my faith because faith is not certainty
0: exactly it
1: absolutely it absolutely is not certainty that's just not what it is
0: exactly you know, oh, I'm forgetting her name. She's an extraordinary writer, but she wrote uh, an autobiog an autobiography of Muhammad. No, she wrote yeah. a bi- she wrote a biography an of Muhammad. <laughs>
1: Even she was channeling him. She she did like that
0: spirit channeling. No, um, and now
1: you've made everyone mad. Anyway, <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: yeah. She wrote a biography of Muhammad. In which she portrays Muhammad going up the mountain and the fear and trembling with which which he did that, where he encountered the angel of Gabriel, Mm -hmm. and how on the journey home after that vision, he wasn't filled with certainty. Mm -mm. He was filled with terror and doubt, so much so that he almost killed himself. Hmm. records say that he almost committed suicide because the fear, the terror, the doubt, the questioning of who or what this thing was, it wasn't certain at all for him. Yeah. And she it, she says that that is a great picture of faith.
1: It is actually. It,
0: yeah, that is faith. It isn't the cold certainty.
1: I mean, I've heard I have I have actually heard people use that terror and that anguish as evidence that what Muhammad Really, saw was a demon. But I think... I have two, yeah. I think they're not giving the experience of God enough credit. Like, if God has not wrecked your shit, then I don't think you've experienced God because God has wrecked my shit. He has, you know, that sort of through the Holy Spirit experience of God has yes. wrecked my shit. Yeah, me too. And again, if that's not what you've experienced, I, mm, I don't know, man. And like, I think it's one reason why evangelicals We're in such an uproar over, say, the Noah movie. What makes you think? Just because the biblical account is very sort of mythical in its language and paints in very broad strokes and doesn't give a lot of sort of, you know, narrative character development details, what the crap makes you think that Noah was just fine with all of that? Would you be fine with all of that? I hope not. You just watched all your neighbors die. Yeah. Like,
0: what the crap? You know, anyway. so kind of, okay, first of all, Leslie Hazleton. That's the name of the author. Okay. She's a great, great writer.
1: <laughs> Back to the...
0: She's, she, I, I love her to death. She has a fantastic TED talk on the nature of faith and on Muhammad, which I highly recommend. Okay, moving on. Anyway. The movie Noah, Danielle and I were huge fans. I know it was oh a really gosh. controversial film. I know a lot so of people good. hated it, but we loved it. <laughs> and part of the reason mm-hmm. we loved it was it, it was dark. Yeah. And I, you know, Russell Crowe's Noah went through these horrific things and was kind of mentally ill and kind of crazy. And it kind of turned into a shining situation. And for people who object to that, I want to look at them and be like, you think the Bible isn't like that?
1: You think that's not what's happening here? You
0: think, you think right? the prophets... weren't weren't
1: like that
0: (laughs) like that people
1: who walked around naked for like a period of years i mean you think god told them to
0: you think ezekiel wasn't a fucking terrifying human being right
1: you think you think isaiah seemed normal to people if you saw if you
0: saw ezekiel on the street you would be running that's
1: a crazy homeless man you would be
0: running (laughs) exactly yeah you'd be running homeless
1: man mumbling and shouting nonsense that is that is how that would go down
0: (laughs) burning his own shit (laughs) yeah burning his own shit yeah And and waxing poetic about horse dicks.
1: Like, come on now. These men were affected by the spirit of God in a way that, I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and and this kind of gets to one of my pet peeves, which is let's just let the Bible be what it is. Timothy and Matt Langston and I were talking about this. How you know when we when we whitewash Scripture, when we make it all have to be literal, when we have to see it as when we
1: sanitize, when it. We sanitize yeah. it
0: and literalize it. I think that that is a low view of Scripture. The the gall to do all of these horrific well, things to scripture. It's an
1: incomplete view of scripture. Which,
0: which to me is a low view. Yeah,
1: You know, I yeah. feel like
0: I have a higher view of scripture now because I feel like I simply let it be what it is. Which is a fucking messy, complicated, confusing, baffling, gorgeous, and horrifying piece of work that Full spans... Full of some of
1: the highest highs and the lowest yes. lows in all of the human experience. All like, of heaven. Whoa!
0: All of heaven and hell is contained yeah. within the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As the same with religion. I mean, yeah. all of heaven and hell, the worst and the best of humanity is within religion. And also the Bible is a library written over the span of centuries. It mm-hmm. isn't a single book and the character of God changes Yeah, <laughs> throughout the book. Yeah. There are times when it's almost like, are we writing about the same God? Are we? Yeah. Is this, is the, this sa- the
1: same? and yeah and,
0: and that could be because
1: human perceptions of God were ha- changed per- they change exactly anyway
0: and when we let the bible be messy it's terrifying but we can just kind of relax into it instead of having to fight and fight and fight to make the world and the bible fit this narrow definition and that yeah, causes a lot not, of anxiety i
1: am not about to impose sort of my systematic interpretation on the Bible, which quite frankly is what a lot of people do. And it baffles me that, I don't know, I well, and it doesn't also because here's the thing. I was an English major. I was taught to recognize that all texts are viewed through layers. Layers of our own experience, layers mm. of our own, you know, preconceptions, the author's experience and preconceptions. Like, we're always interpreting texts. Yes. And so the Bible is no different because it's a text. text. <laughs> And yes, the Holy Spirit is working, you yeah. know, with it and with us, but we're still humans and it's still a text. Like, this is still true, guys. Yeah.
0: Spoken like a true English major. Spoken like an English major. We are interpreting
1: this text. And that's just it. I cannot impose my systematic interpretation on a text that is so far beyond me, metaphysically and historically and culturally. This thing has been around for thousands of years and been experienced by people and written by people, you know, so distant from each other in time and space like holy cow guys this is this thing is big and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than I can wrap my head around yeah and I'm okay with that
0: exactly (laughs) all right so one last question Mm. that we can both answer Mm -hmm. what has been your favorite book recently
1: oh goodness
0: that you've read recently
1: actually been reading more recently. Okay. You first.
0: Well, I would have to say it is Michael Pollan's most recent book called How to Change Your Mind, and it's about psychedelics. Mm. It's about the science of psychedelics the experience of psychedelics the medical benefits of psychedelics for depression and existential despair and the recent renaissance in psychedelic research and it is truly like one of the most fascinating books i've read this year like Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty incredible yeah. So I'm audiobooking that one. That's what I've been listening to when I go for a run.
1: Ironically, my favorite book recently has been about neurology as well. Uh, I read Oliver Sacks' "The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat."
0: Oh, uh, Oliver Sacks is brilliant.
1: Oh my gosh, his prose is so amazing. Have you read uh,
0: <laughs> Have you read "Musicophilia"? No, I should. That it's I about really the. Should. It's about the interaction mm-hmm. of music in the brain, and that's another yeah. incredible book. No,
1: yeah, no, but "The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat" is about essentially the vagaries of perception the vagaries of the human brain and what it can do and what sometimes it can't do and just these amazing vignettes both of his own patients and stories that were sent to him from other neurologists about all of these really unexpected conditions and circumstances that arose out of out of their study of neurology mm. and these neurological aberrations and it was poetic and compassionate And fascinating and probing and all of these other things and talk about a man who approaches hmm who approaches science through mystery yeah he I that's one of the things that I most admired about his writing is that he was okay saying and we don't know why (laughs) and here is as far as we can as the science can go right now and beyond that we Don't know why. No, I mean
0: Oliver Sacks was like one of our great poet laureates of science. Like he and and you know he actually recently died several years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a real tragedy. It was a true loss. I feel I feel about his death the same way I feel about Terry Pratchett's death. Oh my gosh!
1: Don't even get me started. Just like oh oh my god,
0: the loss of a modern genius, a loss of a modern visionary and prophet. Yeah. Because
1: talk about other favorite books I've recently read. Just Terry Pratchett. Just go read Terry Pratchett. Just Terry
0: Pratchett in general. Just go read him. now i love love terry pratchett and and the fact that terry pratchett narrated his own death on twitter
1: yeah anyway if
0: if you don't know what we're talking about go look up terry pratchett's death on twitter and
1: get ready to sob and get ready to sob
0: um okay so anyway well that's our show for this week thank you danielle for joining me
1: (laughs) for chatting in in your room for letting me
0: pull you out of your room Mm
1: -hmm.
0: out of panic because I was like, I don't have anything. <laughs> I, <laughs> My interview again, I don't have anyone to interview. Uh, before we close here, I just have a small request please go give a five star review on iTunes and this is this really is like so helpful because a it, it boosts my show you don't even have to write a review just give it five stars or or four <laughs> stars you know be honest mm-hmm. but
1: but if you can but if
0: you can give five stars because here's here's the thing is a, like a lot of inter- interviewees when I ask them to come onto the show they just go look at how many reviews I have that is how I get a lot of my audience and a lot of my guests is it's really it really is based on like how many reviews I've got and so if you enjoy this show and if you listen to it every week and you find yourself looking forward to it every Monday morning (laughs) then please just take a few seconds to to give it five stars and I would so deeply appreciate that. Also, I'm launching my Patreon, so if you want to support my work financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long, where you can support this podcast and my blog. I work, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I work 60 hour weeks, 50 to 60 hour weeks, and I love all of it. I will keep doing it regardless of whether people pay me or not, but it really, really does help a lot. Other ways you can support the show, Share it with your friends. Share it on social media. You can write a blog post responding to it. Also, I love hearing from you. You can reach out to me at Twitter, at Stephen B. Long. You can reach out to me on Facebook. You can uh, also find me at sbradfordlong.com where you can email me and read my dozens of articles on faith, doubt, sexuality, spirituality, so on and so forth. All right. Well, the music is by The Jelly Rocks from the album Bang and Whimper. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify. And the artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. And we will see you next week.